0: Right
1: now. You f- don't got time for that f-. right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Blake. Oh! Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what
2: you're doing and listen.
1: You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Schwert and Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN.
0: What's up? Derek Johnson filling in for Nick Schwert today on your Friday here of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We've got a full show. Brian Haney, the voice of the Jayhawks, is going to join us coming up in about 30 minutes from right now. We've also got Shane Jackson Lawrence Journal World. He's going to join us coming up in the four o'clock hour, about four thirty, because we got high school hoops tonight. High school basketball sub state finals are tonight. Free State hosting Washburn Rural, and Lawrence High is hosting Alatha West. We've got that Lawrence High Alatha West game right here on our airwaves on KLWN at seven o'clock. KLWN and you can watch a video version of it with the audio streamed on to you click tv so that's tonight didn't really expect to come into my friday and have to to talk about uh some of the stuff going on with less miles but here we are the report was fully released today and uh i mean just just to i guess give like a vague throwaway line not good for ku Les Miles is not going to survive this um, with the Jayhawks. I don't know how. And honestly, like I wouldn't be surprised if we hear something as soon as today that KU, whether it's, it's saying we're letting him go, whether it's saying, you know, we're going to investigate this more and we're putting him on, you know, administrative leave or whatnot. I think that could be coming at some point today. I know Some people were wondering, oh, are they going to do a Friday news dump? I don't know. Maybe it'll be then. Maybe it'll be earlier. Um, But at the end of the day, I have a hard time envisioning Les Miles is going to be the head coach for Kansas in 2021, just given where things are right now. We'll go over some more of what came out in the report um, later in the show, just to kind of give you an overarching idea of some of the stuff that came out, though. There were reports about um, Les Miles wanting specifications of some of the female workers that worked in the athletic department. And there were some other details that, like I said, we'll get into later in the show, so much so that the LSU athletic director at the time, Joe Oliva, wanted to actually let go of Les Miles back in 2013. One of the things that Joe Oliva said was he'd rather get scrutinized in the Court of public opinion for letting go a coach who was beloved by so many for everything he did with lSU football at the time than have to deal with an actual court of law, which very fair point because now we're dealing with this now, and again, bad look all around. So there's a lot of questions with this um. If, you know, what does this mean um, for the KU football program? What does this mean for the athletic department? What does this mean for who your head coach is going to be next year? That's a lot of stuff we have time to kind of answer over the coming weeks and, and figure out with more details as they come out and how KU approaches this. I'll say this as far as the head coaching search. Um, don't expect this to be flight season. I know that was fun, chaotic, then maybe got a little wary last time. I would assume this is going to be an internal hire. Emmett Jones, Josh Ergel, to me, seem to be the best candidates. I guess DJ Elliott, maybe he could uh, pop up there. Uh, I'm not as high on the potential as him as a head coach. Mike DeBoard just got the job, which, by the way, I wonder what he's thinking right now after just taking that job about a month ago. Um, but he just got the job, so I don't think he'd be in line to be the interim head coach. Hey, Clint Bowens at Lawrence I. Wouldn't be uh, too much to ask for him to maybe come back over to KU. Uh, Personally, I'd love to see Jones get it. Great recruiter and receiver with bright future by all accounts. He's a guy who's, you know, almost been poached by Texas even. So uh, let's maybe see what he has as a head man and and see if he can maybe be a guy who takes the program to the next level. But um, like I said, just not good information. In regard to the last Miles stuff, as far as those Joe Oliva comments, as I was mentioning, um, this is from Brody Miller, uh, who is the beat reporter for LSU, and he actually tweeted out, I, I don't know why I'm referencing him, because this all comes from the report, um, but this is a message from June 21st of 2013. Oliva sent the following email to counsel and incoming LSU president F. King Alexander Bob and King, thanks for the call today. One more time, I want us to think about which scenario is worse for LSU, explaining why we let him go or explaining why we let him stay, proactive or reactive. I always believe that people are innocent until proven guilty, and in this case, I believe he is guilty of insubordination, inappropriate behavior, putting the university, athletic department, and football program at great risk. I think we have cause. I specifically told him not to text, call, or be alone with any student workers, and he obviously didn't listen. I know there are many possible outcomes and much risk either way, but I believe it is in the best interest in the long run to make a break. The court of public opinion would favor us, the courtroom. On July 2nd, we will know more about the facts, uh, but the facts will remain the same. Thanks. Like I said, Les Miles is not going to survive this. It wouldn't surprise me at, at some point during the show. We have some breaking news uh, as far as that goes. So we'll just kind of wait and see how that goes. And like I said, we'll get into some more of the specifics of what came out in the report today coming up in the four o'clock hour. I I don't want to completely just hamper negative stuff here on your Friday, though. Um, We are actually sponsored our opening segment now by Cycle Zone Power Sports in North Topeka. What a first day to sponsor the Open for Cycle Zone Power Sports. So, uh, if you want to get away from the negative stuff, go to Cycle Zone. You know, get your ATV, get your watercraft, go enjoy the weather. He heat is heating up, and uh, no better way to enjoy it than with Cycle Zone. Ku won a basketball game last night. I mean, Nick left, and the Ku world just bleep hit the fan. Ku almost lost to UTEP. The Les Miles report came out. Just the summation of that game is the word exhale, you know, unclench. You still probably have to win, at this point, two games to get into the Big 12 tournament if you want to secure maybe a three seed in the NCAA tournament. But the reason you exhale after last night is because you lose that game, you might have just eliminated yourself from even having the possibility of getting a three seed unless you win the Big 12 tournament. And definitely... You know, we had the conversation yesterday. If they went out, could they possibly get a two seed? You know, if you get some help from some of the teams who are projected there, maybe. You lose that game, that wouldn't even be a conversation anymore. So you exhaled, you survived. You still have that in front of you. But that said, last night might have been a kind of nice dose of reality for this team. You go on the highest of highs with a hot streak capped by a win against undefeated Baylor. Everyone's talking about how this team is back, how high of a seed you could get, how you're rolling into March. But in reality, this team still has its flaws. They've just masked them better of late. And last night was a reminder there are still those flaws. It's easy after the Baylor win. I said after the game, that is the ceiling to how you will feel about this Kansas team prior to the postseason. If you make a Final Four run or something like that, that is obviously the new ceiling. Uh, This isn't a one seed Kansas team. This is far from the best team that Bill Self has had at Kansas. That game against UTEP, that was a smack in the face to wake up from the dream you've been having, the lust around this team after that win against Baylor. Sometimes the adage of you hear this, oh, they could beat anybody, they could lose to anybody. And we've heard that about Kansas this year. Sometimes that just sounds kind of cliche and it's just a throwaway. But we legitimately saw that in back-to-back games for Kansas. You beat Baylor, one of the best teams in the country. You almost lose to UTEP, who I guess they're not one of the worst teams in the country, but based on like the teams you played, they are toward the bottom of that list. You know, They're ranked like 130 on Ken Palm. So while last night was a reminder of how this team doesn't Have that wide margin for error, or that there still are those flaws. I guess to spin it positively, at least you learned that lesson in a victory. The game was very much like the North Dakota State game, except you didn't get down by as much. But I think we saw what happens when KU can't get top production from David McCormick. I don't know what it is. Like, what is it about non Big 12 opponents? That has caused Dave to struggle at times. He was really good in the second half, though. And that was the difference in the game. The shooting is so hit or miss for this team this season. And you obviously don't have that guy who can beat you off the bounce consistently. You don't have that guard who can just go get you a bucket at the rim like Frank Mason or a Sharon Collins or a Devontae Graham who he'd do it a little differently. He'd shimmy shake you and then dribble his way to an open three or something, or he'd be able to drive and kick to somebody else from three. They don't really have that guy who's going to consistently beat you off the bounce. So once you get in those situations in the half court, Dave, by default, is your top option. And if Dave is struggling again, then your offense goes from being what is currently the weakness on the team, if you're comparing the offense to the defense, it goes from being the weakness to being a disaster, which is what we saw in the first half against UTEP. UTEP's fine defensively. They're not in the top 100 of the country in adjusted defensive efficiency. And he scored 20 points against them in the first half. That was a disaster. Second half, you had a really good half. You scored 47 points in the second half. And you know what the difference was? You got Dave going in the second half after he struggled in the first half. Dave scored no points in the first 14 minutes. KU had 14 points. Dave had two points at halftime. KU had 20 points at the break. And then Dave had 16 points in the second half. And you put up 47 points in that half. I refuse to believe those things are just correlations. I think those are a direct impact on each other. So in my eyes, I kind of view it at this point for the offense as being two things that are going to determine if KU's offense can be good enough to at least pair with an elite defense. Because the defense is there. And even last night, yes, there were times where UTEP, you know, Bryson Williams was going off. At the end of the day, KU's defense played really well. Held them to, I think, 37% from the field. You held them to um, 13 of 40 if you take away Bryson Williams. Bryson Williams did most of his damage in the first 25, 30 minutes of that game. And he was excellent for UTEP. But you held the rest of the team to 32.5% from the field, even with Williams, 37%. So you have to have at least enough offense to pair with that. The first thing that this team does offensively to determine whether it's going to be a good night or bad night it's are they hitting threes or not? They only went 5 of 15 last night and we've seen plenty of poor shooting performances this season from what has been an inconsistent offense so it's not new. But if they're hitting, they can look like a good offense. You think of the West Virginia game, you think of the the first Iowa State game. If not, then that leads to scenario B. If you're not hitting threes, you got to take care of the basketball and feed David McCormick and he has to carry you in the half court. And that was the case last night. Again, when you compare those first and second half numbers, two points in the first half, KU has 20. 16 points in the second half, KU has 47. That was the case in a lot of other games too, whether it was Oklahoma State or Baylor or Texas Tech. We've still yet to see that game where both scenario A and scenario B play out in the same, where they're hitting threes and Dave gets rolling in the same game. Maybe at this point, it's a loser's bet to expect it to happen or maybe even if it does happen at some point, it's probably a one-time thing. But the hope that that still exists has got to be at least enticing, even though it might not be realistic. I know I said yesterday I didn't expect any role players playing well and getting more minutes to impact the future rotation, but, I mean, outside of David McCormick and maybe Marcus Garrett's defense and I guess Ochai Igbaji was really consistent and awesome all game, you don't win that game without Dewan Harris. Ended up playing 24 minutes, 6 points, 2 rebounds, 2 assists, 2 steals. None of those numbers jump off the page at you. But again, just one of those games where he goes out there and you can just tell he's impacting winning. Has those couple big steals. He doesn't miss a shot. Goes 4 for 4 at the free throw line. Uh, makes the one layup. The incredible bounce pass that he makes to Baji. hit the 3 after UTEP just hit a 3 which I think was eventually reversed back to a 2 that made it a 1 point game but really tied it because they again reviewed that and took away a point DeWan Harris was plus 18 on his plus minus basically when you're on the court is your team gaining points losing points and that can be a flawed stat it's a lot dependent to who you're on the court with but in a game where you barely won to have a plus 18 that's incredible and it shows how good DeWan Harris was last night and so we've seen this before with DeJuan. Um, there's certain games where playing him more behooves you. There's others where the lack of maybe shooting or scoring might hurt. So for that reason, I still don't think this is one game is going to have a long-term impact on the rotation. But also don't be surprised if Dewan Harris comes up big, you know, maybe in a big 12 tournament game, or maybe he comes up big off the bench in an NCAA tournament game and provides you some juice that you were lacking from the starters like you did last night. And for that specific game, he kind of has a bigger role. Flip side of that, last night we saw Jalen Wilson kind of get the axe in terms of minutes. Played just 17, went one of seven from the field. He grabbed just two rebounds, looked kind of lethargic out there. We've seen Jalen Wilson have a couple games where he struggled a bit offensively, especially during his lull. What was different is we didn't see him look as engaged on the glass, just those two rebounds. This is a guy who's leading you in rebounds per game. And Bryson Williams and UTEP was having their way getting those offensive rebounds. It's a UTEP team that wasn't good coming into that game and getting their offensive misses, but they collected 13 of them. Jalen kind of struggled with that. Um, kind of similar to DeWan, I don't think this is going to have a long-term impact on the rotation. Just on the opposite end of the spectrum, I don't think Jalen having a bad performance is going to lead to all of a sudden, oh, he's going to be benched next game, or he's going to play way less minutes. No, I think this is kind of one of those one-offs where you just went with the hot hand that game and went away from the guy who maybe was struggling. He just didn't have it. I mean, he's a freshman inconsistencies happen. You just need to see a good game now from Jalen and maybe the big 12 quarterfinals, or maybe if you don't, then you start getting worried, but one game of struggling and, and looking out of it, not ideal, but far from panic mode too, especially considering we know Jalen is a guy who he seems to continually be aggressive. Um, it doesn't, seem to put the red light on when things aren't going his way, which is kind of what you want because the opposite side of that has been what we've seen lately from Christian Brown and we saw it last night, which has kind of caused his offensive role to decrease or at the least maybe be more trigger shy. Christian only took one three in that game last night and I get it. UTEP seemed to put a big part of the scouting report on not allowing him to shoot a three. He had the one awesome reverse layup. There were still a couple times, though, where he caught it and you know maybe it was a few feet behind the three-point line or maybe it was a, it would have been a slightly contested three-point look, but he didn't take it. He instead drove around, dribbled, gave it to somebody else. We still haven't hit the point where, you know, for Christian, a slightly contested three might be a better look than an open three, for example, Marcus Garrett. And so one three, that can't happen for Christian Brown. It's been a couple times that... Something similar has happened this year. The good news is that Christian does bring a lot more to the table than just being your normal, okay, I'm just going to shoot it and do nothing else. He's a really good rebounder, Um, showed that great reverse layup. But for this team to be at its peak, I mentioned those scenarios. You know, option B, Dave has to be op- awesome. Option A, KU has to be hitting threes, and we want to see both of them kind of come together at the same time. And for this team to be hitting threes, Christian Brown needs to be hitting threes. And over his last six games, he's five for 25 from three. That's just 20%. He's such a good shooter. I, I think the big game is coming where he's going to break out of it. And boy, would that be nice in the Big 12 tournament and the NCAA tournament if Christian Brown gets hot. But it's definitely, I guess, like a slight cause for concern until it happens again, because as mentioned earlier, to be that good offense in a given game, you have those two routes and one involves hitting threes. Good news is that he's been through a few down games before. When you are a big-time three-point shooter, you, know, you are going to be reliant on more of those up-and-down swings because three-point shooting can be more volatile. But you can't bounce back if you only attempt one-three, which he did last night. I just want to see him let it fly. Seven, eight, nine times a game. The Texas Tech game, he only went two of ten. Loved it. Glad that you shot ten. Do it again. It's kind of like what we've seen from Ochai. There have been games where Ochai maybe shoots like 5 of 15, even when he's struggling shooting-wise. By the way, Ochai was excellent last night on both ends of the court. Um, He had the big steal in the dunk. He was hitting threes. He was engaged defensively. Great game for him. And I think Ochai this year has done a great job at that. The idea of, okay, well, I missed my first couple. I'm not going to stop letting it fly. The Texas game was kind of the one time where it didn't go that way. But I think Christian, if he takes a page from Ochai there, that might kind of behoove this team because they need that three-point shooting. Last note I have from this game, what Marcus Garrett did in the second half defensively, that was the same guy we saw guarding Jared Butler, holding him to five points, except he was basically saying, I don't care if I get some fouls, I'm going to get a handful of tips, I'm going to get a handful of steals, and hey, guess what? You're not Jared Butler. I'm going to make your life a living hell. And I should say it wasn't just Garrett. I mentioned Ochai was great defensively. Harris came up with a couple of big steals. But Garrett just brings it to another level. He ended up with four steals. Could have had five, if not for that one that looked clean, but was called a reach. That was basically... I remember Brad Underwood after KU beat Oklahoma State. He said Frank Mason, he doesn't let them lose. He wills them to win. It's different with Garrett because he's not a guy who... Like Frank, it was like, okay, well, we need a bucket here. I'm going to drive to the rim. I'm going to get fouled. I'm going to hit a shot more often than I don't. With Marcus, you don't have the offensive prowess, but it's like that approach defensively, where he started, the game got to 10, 12, 14 points, and Marcus basically said, I am not going to let us lose this on the defensive end. And he did just that, and he sparked some big plays to help them kind of hang around that 10-14 to mark when maybe it could have been more. Maybe it could have been around 20 if not for the play of some of those guys, and uh, they ended up coming back and coming out with the win. So um, just a reminder that there are flaws and many flaws to this team. Maybe a recovery back down to earth after the Baylor win, which maybe is good. Maybe everybody needs a little uh, slice of humble pie, and that's kind of what that game was last night, but hey you learned that lesson in a victory. FM 1017, 1320 KLWN's Rock Jock Sports Talk. Brian Haney is going to join us in about 10 minutes, but coming up next, let's hear from Dewan Harris. There's a lot of things you might be not really living up to snuff about right now. Are you getting enough haircuts? Are you shaving enough? Are you keeping up with your personal hygiene? Well, one thing that you don't want to be a loser about is having that dirty car. Uh, you know, whether it's just driving around town, whether it's you picking up a friend, You want the clean car, and don't you want the sparkly, clean car that you're proud of? Well, guess what? Tommy's Express Car Wash. They are going to hook you up with a great car wash that's going to get that car sparkly, nice, so that when you go to the store, everybody's looking at your car and says, oh, man. Where did that guy get his car washed? It's wash, rinse, repeat at Tommy's Express Car Wash. You can download the Tommy Club app today and enjoy endless washing for one low price. That's right, endless washing for one low price with the Tommy Club app. It's unlimited car washes, unlimited clean, shiny, and dry, unlimited use of exclusive app lane, unlimited access to all Tommy's Express locations, because there's a lot of them, unlimited guest service and most importantly, unlimited happiness. They've got the tools and expertise to keep your car clean inside and out. Their wash packages let you pay for the services you want, including Tommy Guard and body wax, wheel cleaning and tire gloss, underbody flush and spot-free rinse, and vacuuming. So download the Tommy Club app today and enjoy that endless washing. Go to Tommy's Express Car Wash. This is Rock Chalk Sports Stock FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson in for Nick Schwert. Happy Friday. We've got uh, high school basketball on the airwaves tonight, sub-state finals with Lawrence High. Now joined, though, on the phone by the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney. KU escapes UTEP last night, 67-62. to 62. They only led for a minute and 26 of the game. Brian, is the best way you could describe last night's game just a huge exhale?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I I saw somebody tweeting survive in advance, which is obviously the theme of March. And uh, while this was not a play-in game or an elimination game or anything like that, it certainly had that feel of a Cinderella team that hangs on and hangs around for far longer than you want them to, makes things extra tight, but you find a way to grind it out defensively and some key buckets on the other end when they needed to come. And David McCormick the sleeping giant awaking from his slumber just in the nick of time to put us on his back. So uh, I definitely had that feel and was scary throughout, but uh, good to get the win. And when you go back and look at it, to be 12-1 and at home this year in a year when you had an absolute fraction of of what we'd normally have with the typical 16,300, I mean, wow. Thinking back to the way we looked versus Texas at home, which tied for the worst home loss in Allen Fieldhouse history, to think that we would end up beating Texas Tech and Baylor and several other tough ones after that uh, and and just have the one lone blemish. And Bill Self now 277-15 and all-time in that building. And this year didn't have his best team and certainly didn't have his normal sixth man in terms of the home court advantage in the stands. It really speaks to the great coaching job he did, and and I think Kansas fans should marvel at uh, how well things wound up finishing up in the regular season. Now let's go back it up a few good weeks here in March.
0: Do you think that experience last night playing against um, a UTEP team who, I mean, on Ken Palm, they were actually ranked higher than Kansas State and Iowa State. Do you think that could be good experience for the NCAA tournament where you might be in a similar feel? You know, you could be in the first round against a mid-major team and you could get down early. Do you think that will help them in a couple weeks?
1: Yeah, and I think more importantly, Coach Self thinks that he talked about how we didn't panic and and the guys were calm throughout. And that's obviously a great sight to see. And while you don't want to be complacent, you know, we always had this debate with previous more dominant Kansas teams that on occasion might play down to the competition and would wait to flip the switch. I don't think this team's nearly good enough to think they can just flip a switch at any point from this point forward. I mean, everybody you're going to play in Kansas City will likely be ranked uh and ranked highly once you get past the thursday round and then with the exception of, of maybe uh you know a four versus 13 matchup against an unranked opponent uh which would be your example of last night every opponent after that's going to be ranked too and so there needs to not be any type of we can flip a switch mentality because that's where complacency sets in and you can get your butt beat pretty fast but you do want your team, when you face some adversity, not to panic, not to press, not to start jacking up desperation threes to try to get it all back at once. And, and I think we saw this Kansas team methodically attacked by starting on the defensive end and getting stop after stop and then putting their head down, driving the ball to get whistles and contact, which got us to the stripe a ton in the second half and got us high percentage looks up around the rim, too. So I think all of that, uh, you know, was a great recipe for success. And and throughout, you, you had a pretty calm approach by this veteran Kansas team that uh, you know isn't veteran top to bottom. But you get this deep into the season, and you've been leaning on five or six key guys. I think it's 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 time that these guys, you know, show that they've been through some battles. And and in this case, last night they won a nice one that may not be that impressive on paper, but when you consider the circumstances. Uh, we'll take it and certainly excited about where this team's at momentum wise. Coach keeps using that term big mo. Big mo is on our side. We almost lost some big mo, as in momentum, last night, but thankfully they sustained it. And I think they're better having gone through it.
0: You know, and David McCormick was excellent in the second half last night, kind of similar to the Oklahoma State game, where he starts slow and then picks things up first half he has two points KU scores 20 points as a team second half he has 16 points KU scores 47 as a team is is it as simple to say at this point that the offense just kind of revolves around how well David McCormick is going to play
1: you know it's getting close to being able to say that obviously they want to establish him at the start of games and it makes everything so much easier if he is hitting because he's become a really good passer out of the post and if he's Unable to get a shot off, he's commanding enough attention that somebody else is going to be open. And he's done a good job of finding him over the course of the second half of the season. That's one of the things that Coach Self has pointed to is one of the biggest improvements in the season's second half is McCormick as a passer. And so if you can establish him as a scorer, it's going to make the other guys on the perimeter get more open looks as well. And so it's a win-win if you can do that. The problem is, man, you're too young to remember this, but there used to be a roller coaster at uh, Worlds of Fun called the Orient Express. And and he at times is a little bit like the Orient Express in terms of the ups and the downs and one half to the next. And, and you just don't know which version of him you're going to get. But I do think we're seeing a guy that steadily in other phases of the game beyond just scoring is becoming a little more consistent. And the hope is that whether it's the ball screen defense or passing out of the post or slightly better in protection as we saw with the three blocks versus Baylor, that if the shots aren't falling early, that he can fall back on those other contributions and from a self confidence standpoint, understand that he's still positively impacting the game, even if the shots aren't going down, and that way he doesn't start pressing doesn't go back to the sped-up version of David that we saw over the first year and a half of his Kansas career. And, and I think that's really the evolution of making him a more complete, well-rounded player, not just that he can do those other things, but that those other things in the absence of shot-making keep him in the flow of the game, keep him confident, uh, you know, keep him feeling like, hey, I'm still having a big say in this thing. Because think about it. You know, You look at his last couple of home games – and uh what do you open? Seven of seven versus Texas Tech and five of five versus Baylor. And and life's good when everything's going in. I mean you're a beast on both ends of the floor. He's flexing the biceps, he's looking like Tarzan, he's he's you know absolute beast out there. But when the first few shots start clanking, then you start pressing and that's where hopefully this this more evolved version of David on both ends of the floor and in other aspects of this offense You know, can realize, hey, I can still impact this team in other ways. Eventually, you know, the shots are going to start to fall because Kansas has proven they're going to keep feeding him the rock. I mean, he was one of six to open the game last night. First possession of the second half, they're going right inside to him. So to your point, yes, I think it, it is becoming that simple, but hopefully for him, he can rise above. You know some of these 0 for 3, 0 for 4 starts by doing the other things to help the team, and therefore it's not quite the roller coaster ride of all the the peaks and valleys. And all of a sudden, you know, Coach Selfs immediately having to push buttons and go to Lightfoot. And heck, we saw you know late in the the half versus Baylor, they're they're playing small with Aruna in there because nothing's working right. So that some of that had to do with foul trouble. But the point is yeah, um, I think that David is going to be the guy that, that takes us as far as we're going to go in this particular postseason. It's going to take great shot-making on the edge as well, don't get me wrong, but he's the guy that will affect it as much as any. So hopefully, you know, we'll see him get off the quicker starts, and if he doesn't, it won't snowball on him to where for an entire half, Kansas is playing without what should be its most productive offensive player. You know, you
0: could say this about Dave, you could say it about Ochai, you could say it about Garrett, but... Uh, they don't win that game last night without the contributions of DeWan Harris off the bench. He plays over 20 minutes, has a couple steals. Uh, he ends up with six points, and that one pass that he made from under the hoop, where he bounced it to Ochai, who hits the three in the corner, was just incredible. Um, uh, at this point, I, I, I don't know like if that's gonna lead to you know more minutes or a bigger spot in the rotation. We're so late in the season, but. At least for me, I feel like it gives me more confidence that at some point in the NCAA tournament, if this is going to be a run for KU where there are several games, there might be that DeWan Harris moment or that Dewan Harris game in that run.
1: You know, it's so funny because I was just on another station yesterday and they were asking me about how the TV timeouts in the tournament being longer typically shrinks your rotation and certain guys get squeezed because you want to go with your studs as much as you can and we were talking about how you know bryce thompson is going to be that guy that there's a tournament game that he ultimately tilts in Kansas' favor because he's kind of leapfrogged DeWan and he's the most trusted guard or has the highest ceiling of the, of the guards coming off the bench and uh and i still believe that to be the case but the question was phrased in the sense of do you think DeWan Will get squeezed once these uh, you know lengthier timeouts take effect and all that. And honestly, prior to last night, you could see a pretty plausible reason as to why he might. Uh, I mean, he's given us great flashes uh, of big shot making or, or defensive prowess, poking the ball loose, getting his hand in the cookie jar, as I like to say, uh, in different spurts. But he's also had some halves of basketball where um, you know at, at times you thought, "Man, what's going on?" He's he's smaller. He's He's not a threat to shoot it in some instances, and yet when he's had the confidence to take it, he actually hits it a pretty high clip, fifty-six percent from three. But the point is, um, because much like a lot of players on this team, there have been a lot of ups and downs with him down the stretch, and now you have this emerging Bryce Thompson character heading into last night. Uh, you could make a case for why you know he might be a guy that really sees a significant reduction of minutes. Once tournament play hits and rotations shrink, not that he had a ton of minutes to begin with, but then he gives us last night. And to your point, we don't win that game without DeWan Harris. I mean, Kansas goes almost exclusively to him in the midst of the comeback. I'm looking at the bench and Jalen Wilson sitting there. And, uh, I mean, you know, he's, he's just kind of staring straight forward, uh, with, with body language that would tell you, you know, he's frustrated with the night he's had, he's frustrated. He's not on the floor. He finishes just one of seven, but, Meanwhile, on the floor, playing in his spot, playing a ton of minutes and, and really impacting the game, is DeWan Harris. And and I think while Marcus had the masterpiece defensively with four steals and two more blocks, how many plays did DeWan force, whether he got the steal or not, just by being a pest on the perimeter and, and getting all up in, in the guards' business, poking at the ball, hounding him. I mean, he, he was really impactful I thought in, in sparking a lot of the stops that led to runs on the other end so uh, I think he clearly carved out a bigger role for himself over the next three four weeks and whether we play just two more games or as many as nine more games I don't think now he's a guy that gets squeezed very much at all because he proved just how valuable he can be and uh and once again Bill Self proves his ability to push buttons and, and try different combinations and turn that Rubik's Cube furiously until he gets the colors to align. Because that's what he was having to do last night. I mean, nothing was working, and he kept tinkering and twisting and turning and finally got something that worked. And uh, in the process, I think we saw that DeJuan Harris absolutely deserves consideration going forward. And, and I don't know, you know, to your question, will, will he have a, a tournament game where he himself flips it? Tough to say. Because, I mean, how many tournament games will this team play? Are they going to go all the way to the Final Four and play as many as five? Or uh, do they play two or three in March Madness? Tough to say. But somewhere over the course of the next three or four weeks, he'll definitely have big contributions. Will he flip an entire game like Sasha Khan versus Davidson in 2008 when a guy just kind of came out of nowhere and was a storyline? I don't know. But but I know he's going to have valuable contributions. And prior to last night, you could make a case for, for maybe him not being as utilized as much. Um, and that's even coming off the, the big five-point swing he had in the Baylor contest, as good as that was. So uh, I still think Bryce Thompson you know, gives us as high a ceiling as any uh, impactor off the bench. But DeWan clearly needs to be an integral part of what we're doing going forward.
0: You know, and last night's game kind of got me thinking um... – Just with that feel in March playing a mid-major team where you're down and then you have to come back and you squeak one out, some of the best games that KU won in the first weekend of the tournament – uh, that maybe you felt like early on it was the recipe for the upset and they found a way to come back, they found a way to win the game. What are some of those best games that, that come to mind for you? Off the top of my head, I'm thinking of the Holy Cross game, the Purdue game, uh, the 2013 North Carolina game in the second round where you got down big at halftime. Am I missing any on the list there?
1: Wow, that's, that's a great question. Yeah, I, I think the Holy Cross one was so significant because you also had – the Kirk Heinrich ankle injury in that one, and didn't know about his status heading into the next round, which I believe was uh, Stanford, I want to say, um, there in St. Louis, I believe. So yeah, you you had a cloud hanging over you both in terms of dodging a bullet with on-court execution and then with health. But uh, but yeah, there have been several like that that uh, you know once you got over the hump all of a sudden it, it catapults you farther and uh, you kind of get that one out of your system. And those are usually with Kansas teams seeded around one or two because your next game is typically an eight or nine seed and, and you've got a chance to you know, win that one convincingly, kind of get your mojo back. Then you're taking on a four seed in the Sweet 16, still a significant favorite. The difference with this year's team is you're probably going to be a four seed to begin with. And so if you have that 4-13 scare right away, everything going forward is either on your level or better because it's a 4-5 in the round of 32. It's a one seed in the Sweet 16. It's a two or a three in the Elite Eight. And so uh, it's hard to kind of settle in when everything after that, you know, you could make a case that you're either an underdog or it's a pick 'em. So it'll be a little bit different looking up at it this year, but last night definitely had that feel, and there have certainly been examples of that along the road to uh, you know, the great Final Four runs we've seen in the Bill Selfie era, three of them with him, four with Roy Williams, uh, and, and even some runs that stopped short of the Final Four, we at least got to the Elite Eight, but but you had a scare early on. So that's a great point. I'd have to actually bust out the media guy to put up a top five list, but uh, you, I think you certainly touched on the big ones, and, and maybe none bigger than that Holy Cross Example, because it was a situation where you really thought for a second there we might see Kansas go down, and all the headlines at the half, and and this was before social media was taking off, so you didn't have people live tweeting and all that. But holy cow, Holy Cross, you know, could Kansas really go down? And the, the way they dodged that bullet and then got on a roll after it is probably the best example of of what you're describing.
0: He is Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks. No game this weekend, first uh, Saturday without a KU basketball game in, gosh, I don't know how long, but uh, you'll be able to hear him on the call next week for the Big 12 tournament, see if KU can make a run there. Brian, thank you so much for the time, and have a good weekend.
1: Always a pleasure, Derek. Thanks for having me on, buddy. We'll talk to you soon.
0: All right, that is Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. One hour down, two to go. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back. Rock Shock Sports Talk, FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson in for Nick Schwert. Tonight we've got high school basketball on the airwaves. Two sub-state final games in Lawrence. Free State is hosting Washburn Rural at 7 o'clock and then at 7 o'clock over at the Jungle, Lawrence High's Gymnasium. They'll be hosting Aletha West, and we'll have that one for you here on KLWN. KLWN.com and on Uclick TV. We'll have our audio synced up with them if you want to get the visual element of it. We're joined now by Shane Jackson of the Lawrence Journal World who, uh, beyond his awesome coverage for KU, also does stuff in the high school area. And this is kind of peak high school basketball time as both these teams try to make it back to the state tournament. Um, I, I guess we'll start with the game we have on the airwaves tonight. Lawrence High taking on... Aletha west and zeke mayo has just been outstanding all season long i i feel like as the season has gone on the more games that we've done though it, it seems like the rest of the team the teammates uh, around zeke mayo have, have kind of stepped it up and are kind of growing into their roles
2: yeah i would i would absolutely say that's 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 fair uh you, you kind of knew going into this year that uh Zeke Mayo is who he is, Uh, and honestly, I think this is the second year in a row that Zeke Mayo is like the only returning starter for Lawrence High, and they just seem to reload. and And a lot of it is, you know, guys around him finding their role. I thought that happened much earlier for this Lawrence High team than maybe in years past. I think guys figured out their role relatively quickly, and that's what made this team kind of so special so early. Uh, and then, yeah, lately though, it's been you know players stepping up around him. Pierce Long, in particular, you know he's he's a guy who 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 can score in, in, in a variety of different ways. Um, Avion Nelson, who's been starting the last handful of games uh, because of Grant Clevenger being out, you know he's he's able to you know really get to the rim and he plays above everybody else. So he he's played a lot. He's had a much bigger role as of late. And and then you have got other guys that around him are really good as well
0: is it just like a program thing do you think because it seems like every year there's like a new class of players for Lawrence High that are in the mix in the rotation and it's just it doesn't matter they just continue to go back they they've made six straight state tournament appearances this year i think it would be 7 i think that would set a new school record i think from like 1916 to 1922 mm-hmm. they went to six straight as well what do you attribute this
2: to Uh, well, the only constant of that is Mike Lewis, uh, the head coach, uh, who, you know, every year since, you know, he was, you know, obviously reinstated as Lord's High coach, uh, he has gone, he's directed this team to a state tournament, you know, and as you said, they're going to be, you know, program record seventh time if they win tonight, uh, straight in season. So he, he's the one constant with this team. So he deserves a lot of credit. I would say the last few years in particular, you know, Zeke Mayo has been a constant as well. Uh, and when you have a player who, You know Zeke Mayo has probably been one of the more talented players in the state for three years now at least, and uh, when you have that and you can just piece everything else around him, that certainly helps as well. But those two in particular are the constants as of late. But, uh, yeah, I I think Mike Lewis deserves a ton of credit most of all.
0: I don't know if it's been, what, two years or three years for you for for covering high school basketball with the LJ World, but as far as where Zeke Mayo would rank among – the local area athletes you've gotten to cover—I I mean, he's got to be near the top of that list, right?
2: Yeah, this is so. This is year three for a permanent position, uh, and then I was an intern uh, two years prior to the, the start of all that. So I've done four of the last five years here in Lawrence. How I kind of attribute that, and yeah, Zeke Mayo is up there in terms of talent. I mean, I thought he was. One of the best basketball players in the area, yeah, as, as a sophomore. So, uh, and that was a on a team that was really good for Lawrence High. I mean, they had a couple of really good players, and I thought there was an argument that he was probably the best player. So, in terms of talent, yeah, he is he is one of the more fun players to cover and watch because on a nightly basis, and it's not even just that he can put up these ridiculous scoring totals. I I, I think the best thing about him is that he he really is you know a a, a true teammate and he wants to get his teammates involved. I think he takes a, a lot of efficient shots uh, and he, he's a, you know, he really dominates the glass. He's a really good rebounder. Uh, it's the, kind of one of the reasons why, even though Lawrence High has had to play small, I think they've not really lacked much on that end because he is so good defensively on the glass. Um, and so, yeah, it, he just does a lot of things well and it's not just these highlight plays these long threes or scoring totals. He just does everything from a basketball perspective that you would want in in a player on your team.
0: All right. Garrett Lewinstra, senior year, free state, Zeke Mayo, senior year, Lawrence high, who wins in that one-on-one battle?
2: Well, that is the one year I wasn't here for the Garrett Ah, Lewinstra senior year. So I only saw him as a junior, which he was really good as a junior. So I, you know, I I don't, I don't know. I, I would, I would guess based off what I know of, it's Zeke, but there's a chance. Uh, I just didn't get a good, clear picture of what Garrett was as, as a senior.
0: Yeah, I think those are the last two guys I can remember averaging 20 or more points per game for their mm-hmm. teams. I, I could be forgetting somebody um, at either end of the spectrum. So, Orange High does take on Olathe West tonight. Um, what is it you're going to be on the lookout for for the Lions, for them to be successful?
2: That's a good question. I, this is one of those games that uh, so they played earlier in the season and it was, you know, a 20 some point game uh, that, for a victory for Lauren Ty. And I remember a couple of years ago, Lauren Ty had a similar rematch like that. It was in the first round of their state tournament where they really beat a team by a lot in the regular season meeting. And then they lost in the quarterfinals. I believe it was against like Wichita Southeast. Uh, and so sometimes, you know as people you know like us we don't get to see these other teams that often you just kind of look at the scores and say well Laurenti is that much better and that's not always the case maybe it was just Laurenti was really good that night and maybe they're a lot closer I'm sure Mike Lewis would tell you the same going into this matchup that they're probably a lot closer than that you know 68-44 score would indicate from February 11th so I think I would just be you know similar to a couple years ago I would I would just be looking out for ways that Lawrence High can make sure that this this isn't as close as it could get.
0: We're talking with Shane Jackson of the Lawrence Journal World. The other game, we won't have this one on the airwaves, but uh, I think Free State has like a live stream of it with Free State hosting Washburn Rural, uh, where Lawrence High is getting Olathe West, who's 11-10. and 10. Free State's getting Washburn Rural. And I think earlier this week, I just uh, just to kind of keep an eye on this, I went and looked at every team who is still around. There's 16 teams still uh, at play and where they would seed based on record. I think Lawrence High was second among the 16. I think Free State was like fourth or something. Washburn Rural was like seventh. So um, mm-hmm. this is more of like a state tournament quarterfinal match than it is a substate final. Now, obviously, there's only so much that they could do seeding-wise this year because of... Covid nineteen and and they tried to do things geographically based um, as well, which I know was a controversial decision. Uh, is this a game where you think Free State could be in a little bit of danger of possibly being upset?
2: Yeah, and I think uh, you know Free State coach Sam Stroh would tell you the same thing based off what happened a couple nights ago. It, it, they were not a. Uh... You know, a win's a win when you're in the postseason, but they were not very happy with uh, the win against Johnson City a couple days ago in the sub-state opener. Uh, it, it, he said that if, if they had played like that, you know, against Washington Rural, they'd be going home most likely. So it it will be interesting to see how much they've changed in the last 72 hours from that game. Washington Rural, yeah, very capable team, playing in a, in a pretty good league over there, and – uh I think, yeah, they should this feels like of the two teams, one of the more chances that you know one of them could get upset. um, but you know, free State is a very good team. They've made four straight uh, state tournament appearances. A lot of that is a credit to Sam Stroh and what he's done with that program as well. they They tend to thrive in situations like this in the postseason in these close game and uh, these tight games late. And I think because of that, I would pick free State, but yeah, this is this should be a pretty good game
0: where Lawrence High has that kind of one-star player with Zeke Mayo, and then it's a bunch of guys who are maybe younger or filling in really good roles in, in really good ways around him. With Free State, it's more of, you know, you lost so much from a year ago, and yes, they do have some returners, but it's it's a team that utilizes a lot of their depth, and they use roles in, in different ways. Uh, but who do you think, if, if I were to say one guy were to go off tonight for Free State to help carry them into another state tournament appearance, who would you kind of highlight in that area
2: yeah i think I think Mose Downing's their best player, uh but he's always not he's not always the guy who's going to score a bunch. Um so if you had to pick if you had to pick a player who could get hot I still feel like that's Cooper Jackson. I think he he brings a whole other element to their team especially on the scoring aspect that I just think when he gets going, I mean you're talking about a team that, you know, along with Mose Downing and Andrew Piper if he gets going, I mean it feels like they're a really tough team to beat. Um and so I feel like, you know, if there was a guy who get who could get hot and and take over this game it's Cooper Jackson, but in terms of and Scoring, and that is, but in terms of like overall aspect of basketball, I mean, Mose, the way he just I mean, he's the point guard, the way he plays defense on basically any position, uh, he just he's so involved in every aspect of the game, he's, he's the leader of this team, so you know, he's going to ultimately decide if the Free State Firebirds win or lose. But if there was a player that could get high, I think it's Cooper Jackson.
0: Do you think if the, the two teams met again, Lawrence High and Free State, and I, th- I think it would take like either Hayesville campus or Blue Valley Northwest getting upset, and then they Mm -hmm. could potentially meet in like the state semifinals, I believe, if if my math's right there. You you saw the first go-around between the two, and Lawrence High won uh, by a relatively easy scoreline, but that game was close at the start of the second half. Free State made a big run to kind of tighten things up before Lawrence High pulled away. I guess what did you learn in that game about these two teams that you think could uh, go about if they met again?
2: Yeah, it's another one of those instances where I don't know if the final score indicated how close those teams were. I mean, Lauren Ty, you know, drilled 11 three pointers, which is their season high. I think that kind of inflated it. I mean, it was a 16 point win to the Lions. I don't think the Lions necessarily are 16 points better than the Firebirds. Um, and so yeah, I would, I would imagine it is closer game. Free State, you know, like you said, they made a charge there in the second half. I think they put a lot of their energy into that kind of comeback bid and they, they pulled within, the, within a few points there in the third quarter. But by then, you know, your your legs get tired and and you put so much effort in just getting back into the game and and Lawrence High was kind of able to pull away uh, in the fourth quarter. I think if Lawrence High doesn't hit, you know, 11 three-pointers, I think you're talking about a game that's a little bit closer than that. Uh, And and so that's I I think those two teams are relatively close.
0: And we'll see if either one of them can uh, eventually unseat Blue Valley Northwest, who just wins every state championship. And I I haven't Mm -hmm. seen him play this year, but... It's funny because you hear from some people saying, "Oh, it's it's kind of a down year for us," and you look up at the standings, and they're like seventeen and one.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually did see Blue Valley Northwest, uh, the Lawrence High game. That was the uh, you know Lawrence High's lone loss of the year. That was seventy two fifty, and it, it, that definitely is one of those stories where I don't think the final score told the whole story. Like because Lawrence High was in that game for three quarters. In the fourth quarter, like just eight minutes just went completely away for them. You know, the assistant coach got a technical. There were some fouls that went against Laurentiis way. Guys got tired. And you felt like they just put a lot of their energy in the first three quarters. And they just kind of let the emotions get the best of them in the fourth quarter. And uh, and let that score get a little bit more lopsided than it should have been. Because I was definitely in that game. I don't even think, you know, Zeke Mayo had his best game. They defended him really well. Um, so you would think, I mean, they're – there's a chance that they obviously rematch here in the quarterfinals, that Lawrence High would have a different game plan uh, for Monday.
0: Yeah, and uh, I guess we'll just have to wait and see on that. And uh, uh, one thing to note, I, I think I remember in that game, Blue Valley Northwest went like, it was like 8 of 9 or 7 of 8 from 3 or just something stupid, which mm-hmm. who knows if, if that's repeatable. But anyway, here's Shane Jackson. You can check out all his work. He'll have something up depending on which game he is covering tonight for the uh, either Lawrence High or Free State. In the sub-state finals tonight, both win, both move on to the state tournament, and uh, we'll carry their games for you on Monday. We'll have the Lawrence High game tonight. Shane, thank you so much for the time. Yeah, thank you. All right, that was Shane Jackson, Lawrence Journal World, joining us here on Rock Truck Sports Talk, FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Coming up next, we got to talk about this uh, Les Miles stuff because continually more reporting Coming out in regards to stuff that happened back in his LSU days, it is not good, but uh, we got to get to it next. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Could your business use a little push right now? Need help getting the word out there that you're hiring? Do you just want to let people know how great of a product you have? Well, you can advertise with Rock Chalk Sports Talk and or the Best of RCST podcast. For more information, contact D. Johnson at GPM. Now.com. That's D Johnson at GPMNow.com.
1: You're listening to Rock Talk Sports Talk with Nick Schwartz and Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320
0: KLWN. 10 minutes, still five, here on Rock chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson in for Nick Schwartz today. Nick left and bleep hit the fan. Uh, KU almost lost to UTEP, and now everything coming out, the full report out on I mean Les Miles is part of the report it's not just about Les Miles it's the hush Blackwell Louisiana State University Title IX review that's what was released and Miles was just a component of this report Um, I should mention before I get into some of this stuff Les Miles has denied all claims of the alleged misconduct during his time at LSU and the Blackwell report did say that they're not in a position to offer an opinion on whether the allegations against him are true or not. So just want to get that out of the way. I'm going to read you some of the excerpts from this report that apply to Miles, and then we'll kind of get into it from there. Also, I would not be surprised if we hear some news from KU, either like a statement, um, if they're going to do anything in the next, I don't know, 20 minutes, an hour or so. You know, we joke about the Friday news dump, but it is a real thing. All right, so here's this uh, first one from the excerpt. Uh, so Lewis is the name. It's it's Sharon Lewis, I believe, is the correct name of the former uh, employee inside the program. And uh, she is part of the reporting here in this. Here's an excerpt from... Um, All this Lewis' report speaks for itself, but among the allegations leveled is that after losing the 2012 National Championship game, Miles attempted to sexualize the staff of student workers in the football program by, for instance, allegedly demanding that he wanted, quote, blondes with the big boobs and, quote, pretty girls. According to Lewis, he also allegedly took a more direct role in the hiring of those student workers. Lewis' account was corroborated by several witnesses. Now, I'll say this. um, That's bad hiring practice it's also happening in every college in the country every school is is doing that in their recruiting office office so um yeah that doesn't make it right i'm just saying that's what's happening and that is a practice that needs to end let's be honest uh so according to lewis she rep- repeatedly expressed her concerns to various athletic administrators and she felt those reports quote went nowhere in 2012, Miles had just completed his eighth season as head football coach. And in late January in 2013, the university announced that it had negotiated a new contract, which included significantly increasing his annual salary. The contract was presented to the LSU Board of Supervisors. At the time, Miles was the highest paid employee in Louisiana. In her interview, Lewis stated that around this time, her, quote, worst nightmare happened when an athletics department student worker, which is named as student one in this report. Obviously, they want to keep anonymity, uh, So, that, you know, this person isn't publicly uh, hoisted out into the world. Student 1 came to her, quote, very upset about something that happened when she was alone with Coach Miles. According to Lewis, Student 1 requested her assistance in confronting Miles regarding the allegations. Another longtime football operations employee was present for the meeting and recalled, from her perspective, that Student 1 was, quote, completely traumatized by the alleged incident. Quote, this child had a dead stare. She just kept saying over and over, you know what you did to me. Sharon Lewis echoed this, describing the interaction between student one as emotional and traumatic. I mean, that's that hits that hits hard. Um, more in this report, following this encounter, Lewis immediately reported the incident to Seeger. According to two athletics employees interviewed as part of a review, student one met with Seeger, but the university never did anything about it. There is no record of the student's concern being investigated in a manner consistent with then-university policy. There are also no records or other evidence of student one being provided with notice of her rights and options in response to the complaint, or perhaps more importantly, any supportive resources other than the support of Sharon Lewis and coordinator of football operations and assistant to head coach Yale Lofton. Lofton and Lewis stated that after this incident, student one, quote, fell off the face of the earth and did not know what happened to her after that. So that's um obviously very unsettling to read all that in the report. Um but there's there's still more in here and the other stuff that I'm going to read you has comes from Joe Oliva. I I prefaced this a little bit in the open. The former athletic director that is Joe Oliva. He was there um in like 2012-2013. I I don't know how long he was there. Um but he wanted to fire Les Miles. And if you remember there was like a point in time where I think Les Miles was it was rumored that he was going to be fired like mid-season, But then there was enough public backlash that he kept his job for the rest of the year and the team ended up doing well the rest of the year. So he kept his job into the next year or something like that. Uh, I don't know if this lines up with that time. Uh, but here is an email from Oliva sent to counsel and incoming LSU president F. King Alexander. Bob and King, thanks for the call today. One more time, I want us to think about which scenario is worse for LSU. Explaining why we let him go or explaining why we let him stay. Proactive or reactive. I always believe that people are innocent until proven guilty, and in this case, I believe he is guilty of insubordination, inappropriate behavior, putting the university athletic department and football program at great risk. I think we have cause. I specifically told him not to text, call, or be alone with any student workers, and he obviously didn't listen. I know there are many possible outcomes and much risk either way, but I believe it is in the best interest, in the long run, to make a break. The court of public opinion would favor us. The courtroom on July 2nd, we will know more, but the facts will remain the same. Thanks. So that was the email from Joe Oliva to counsel and the incoming president. Um, and then there is also, or excuse me, I misreading uh, another one that I thought was something else, but I was just looking at the same thing. Um, so the problem there has to do with the fact that, you know, this was obviously on the table with the previous athletic department with LSU, but I guess it never got out enough that when Les Miles was looking for another job that that was out there, unless it was. You know, he he took the Kansas job. Who's to know if other job openings, was it really about Les Miles not having a up-to-date offense in his last years with LSU? Was that the reason, or is it because of this stuff, and that was preventing him from getting a job? Now, I, I know there's been some heat thrown out there about Jeff Long, like either you knew about this and you didn't care, or you didn't do your due diligence and find out that that might be a proper question but to also be fair to jeff long i i don't know because um you know it's possible what if what if this report was under a non-disclosure agreement right what if legally the previous athletic director joe Oliva, or something couldn't say anything about this publicly or to other people because he would be at risk of being sued by the employee because he would be preventing him from getting other jobs i i don't know why um this wouldn't have got brought up in the job interview process and why this wasn't dug up, but there are ways legal ways and reasons why it is possible that KU really could not have known here. There is a very real chance like, Ku might not have actually known. They might not be just, you know, cause they made that statement a couple weeks ago. They said, we didn't know about this. We're looking into it. That could be very factual. I know a lot of people are unhappy with Jeff long. Um, I don't know what this means for him. I don't know what this means. I know Douglas Gerard is dealing with a bunch of stuff. I saw an article about uh, staff talking about a, a vote of no confidence. He's got a lot on his plate. I don't know what this means for them. But what I can tell you for Les Miles, I wouldn't be surprised if we hear something in the next 15, 20 minutes. I'm not saying he's KU's going to come out and fire him or something, but even in the next hour, your kind of Friday news dump that we're looking into this matter more seriously, and uh, we're going to kind of go from there. We're going to put him on administration, uh, administrative leave, and eventually it ends up with Les Miles no longer being the coach at KU because people say, well, when you combine this with the lack of uh, uh, success on the field, th- that's not a part of this. This doesn't have to do with this. Les Miles was going to be the coach if it was just about the success or even the lack of success on the field because he was recruiting well and they wanted to give him time to build the program. That has nothing to do with this. It's all about this report stuff, and it's all about the past of Les Miles that per KU they didn't know about but now they're finding out about. FM 1017, 1320, KLWN's Rock Chalk Sports Talk.